Hi, I'm Eric Voss, and Spider-Man Far From Home was the love letter to Marvel fans to cheer us up from the sob fest of Avengers Endgame, with lots of laughs and a lot of, wait, what? To twist after twist. But the many Mr. X of Far From Home were part of its elaborate design. So join me as I rewatch and break down this Spider-Man film scene by scene to explore its deeper meaning and the many Easter eggs that director John Watts hid throughout this film. Spoiler warning if you haven't seen it yet, and let's get started. Okay, we open in the Mexican desert as Nick Fury and Maria Hill drive up to the ruins of the town of Extenco to investigate a cyclone that locals described as having a face. There they meet Quentin Beck, Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, it comes to no surprise to any Spider-Man fan that Mysterio is actually the villain of the story, but the exact nature of his plan is fairly well disguised. Though, of course, there are plenty of clues that Beck's battles with these elemental monsters are false misdirects, and the first shows up right here. The license plate of the car beside Fury and Hill shows the number 463. Both in this movie and in Spider-Man Homecoming, John Watts is obsessed with hiding Easter eggs in license plates, including a recently revealed Howard the Duck reference in Homecoming that I spent way too much time finding. 463 is most likely a reference to The Amazing Spider-Man number 4, which came out in 1963, which was the introduction of the villain Sandman. But this sand monster that they're fighting is not Flint Marco Sandman, it's what Beck later describes as an elemental. So including this deliberate Sandman reference on the plate is a deliberate misdirect by the director. He's telling us eagle-eyed viewers, hey good job, you think you found the truth, but that truth is a lie. He's saying trust nothing in this movie. Before I continue, thank you to Marvel Collect by Tops for sponsoring this breakdown. Marvel Collect is a digital trading card app, free to download, free to play, with a vast collection of cards from Spider-Man, Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, X-Men, and more. You can download Marvel Collect from the iTunes App Store or Google Play Store worldwide, or use our download link in the description below. With Marvel Collect, you can collect, trade, and connect with a global community of Marvel fans. I love how these cards feature content from both the current cinematic universe of Marvel and the classic Marvel comics. So you can celebrate the release of Spider-Man Far From Home with a card of Peter Parker swinging through the Venice canals, or a card of Kate Bishop. And if Hawkeye's trainee from the comics ever shows up on the big screen, you could be like, yeah, I got that card. And the app has a program called First Printing, kind of like how comic book editions are printed based on demand. It's just a very cool take on a classic hobby experience. We here at New Rockstars are also working with Tops to do a special giveaway contest that I will talk about later on in this breakdown. Okay, moving on to an over-sentimental tribute montage to the fallen of Endgame. Tony Stark, Natasha Romanoff, Vision, all set to Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And it's interesting that Cap was included here, considering he survived the battle. But with his return trip back to the 40s and aging into Clint Eastwood, the general public must have assumed that he didn't make it. Either way, he's not part of the world anymore. I like the detail that since this montage was edited by high school students, some of the images have Getty Images watermarks on them. This tribute is on the Midtown Morning News, again hosted by Betty Brandt and Jason they recount their take on Thanos' snap in Infinity War and Hulk's snap back in Endgame, a five-year period that they're now referring to as the Blip. Much better name, in my opinion. And they show it with video footage of the marching band dusting, but then returning five years later, mid-basketball game, one of those band members getting nailed. Some of the music that we hear in these opening minutes is a track by composer Michael Giacchino's son, Mick Giacchino, a film musician in his own right. And the track is titled, If You're Snappy and You Know It. Clever. Betty and Jason mention how kids younger than them are now their age or older, including Brad Davis, a wimp-turned-hunk, and in my opinion, the true villain of Far From Home, hashtag Brad. He's played by Remy He. In the comics, Brad Davis was the name of the football player who dates Mary Jane Watson. Betty says it's time for them to move on, which has got to be a nod to the move on that we've quoted way too much in the months before Endgame, and let 
us move on to Peter and Ned. Now, their classroom is lined with Iron Man tribute art, art that shows up all over the world in this film, yet no art for Black Widow. Peter mentions his plan to win over MJ, including buying her glass jewelry in Venice in the shape of a Black Dahlia, her favorite flower, which is a reference to the famous Black Dahlia murder case in LA in 1947. Very grisly. But also in the Marvel comics, the Black Dahlias are also the name of a female street gang who protect women from violence. Peter appears at Aunt May's charity event for the homeless, which could be a nod to Feast, the homeless relief organization from the Spider-Man comics and games. Happy Hogan shows up with a nice big check from Stark Industries, Signed by Pepper Potts, suggesting that life is moving on with Pepper still in charge of Tony's company and charity foundations. But in the background is an old wrestling poster listing Crusher Hogan, which is the name of the wrestler that Peter Parker faced in the exhibition match back in his comic book origin. And actually on that same poster beneath Crusher Hogan is the name Bonesaw McGraw, which is the name of the wrestler character that Macho Man Randy Savage played in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man exhibition match in 2000. Bonesaw is ready. Miss that guy. The director mixing comic references and former film adaptations in the MCU like this sets up the bigger Sam Raimi era callback in the post credit scene, of course, with J.K. Simmons returning as J. Jonah Jameson. Peter goes back out to face fans and press. Now, the framing of this shot seems like a nod to the famous panel of Peter from the Civil War comics, the moment Peter unmasked himself to the public to support Stark's push for superhero registration. But this also foreshadows Far From Home's twist in the mid credit scene, with Peter finally being outed to the public. Peter looks at this tribute mural of Iron Man, which is another example of the Stark art littered all over this movie. One theory that I liked is that some of this street art in the New York area could have been done by Miles Morales. Now, he would be in Brooklyn, not Queens, but we know from the Aaron Davis scene in Homecoming that Miles does exist somewhere in the MCU. Peter packs for his Euro trip and his suitcase has the initials BFP, meaning that the suitcase probably belonged to his late uncle, Ben Parker, whom was modeled after American founding father, Benjamin Franklin, meaning that his middle name also reflects his inspiration. Aunt May chucks a banana at Peter, the same banana that she later sneaks into his luggage with his Spider-Man suit. And she thinks that his Spidey sense, or as it is called in this movie, his Peter tingle, will alert him to it, but it doesn't work. Now, this is a subtle detail in Far From Home, but Peter left Infinity War and Endgame with an anxiety over his Spidey sense, or Peter Tingle. Because if you remember, the moments before he dusted away on Titan, his Spidey sense forewarned him of his coming death, making his death way more nauseating and drawn out than the other heroes' deaths were. And for him, that feeling is all tied in with the pain of losing Mr. Stark. But despite the associated trauma, Peter's Tingle is the one form of perception that makes him unique to normal people. He's got Spidey sense, he can see danger before it comes. Far From Home is a film about perception versus deception. And Peter's journey here is to overcome his fear of his own supernatural perception so that he can see through the smoke screen of deception and defeat the evil. On the flight, Peter's attempt to swap seats around to sit beside MJ ends with him stuck beside Mr. Harrington, who tells him that his wife pretended to blip out, faking her death to leave him. Yeah, it's sad and hilarious, but it's also another reminder of the deception concept of this film. And as Peter learns later with Mysterio, when people die or appear to be dying, you can't always believe what you see in this world. On the in-flight movie screen are a few MCU Easter eggs. Movie titles showing The Snap with an image of Thanos' gauntlet, Finding Wakanda, Hunting Hydra, 
and Nova, Einstein, Rosen, Bridges with Dr. Eric Selvig, of course, is the astrophysicist from the Thor movies. Now, an Einstein, Rosen, Bridge is another name for a wormhole, and this term actually came up in Thor Ragnarok when Banner was describing the devil's anus. But Nova is also the name of a Marvel superhero, a member of the Nova Corps that we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy, and Kevin Feige has hinted that Nova could get his own movie in the future. And then Peter swipes over to another title, Heart of Iron, the Tony Stark story. Peter, once again, unable to escape the painful memory of losing Mr. Stark, despite the fact that as soon as he lands in Venice, more Stark art will haunt him. While touring the Venetian canals, there was a shot in the trailers that might not have been included in the final cut of the movie, with Ned passing a boat number ASM212, a nod to The Amazing Spider-Man issue 212, which was the introduction of Hydro-Man. Now, Hydro-Man in the comics is Maury Bench, whose name and origin actually get a shout out later when the students research details on BuzzFeed about the water monster. But again, these actual Spider-Man villain Easter eggs are misdirects, designed to make us doubt Beck's whole explanation. Now, after the big showdown with the water elemental and Mysterio in the Grand Canal, all of which of course is later revealed to be a hoax, Aunt May calls Peter asking if Beck was Mr. Strange, keying up with the great running joke of how goofy Dr. Strange's name is. The kids watch news coverage of Quentin Beck, whom Brad describes as Iron Man and Thor rolled into one. You, Brad. And they derive the moniker of Mysterio from the Italian news description, Uomo di Mistero, or Man of Mystery. Nick Fury shows up and tranks Ned, and they head to a hidden base to talk. Now, Fury says Stark told him to tell him uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, which is a quote from Shakespeare's Henry IV, part two, not a Star Wars reference. And if you think about it, it's actually an older incarnation of with great power comes great responsibility. Fury gives Peter Tony Stark's sunglasses, which we saw Tony wearing in Infinity War and Endgame. Now, these magic glasses are the key magic item of this story. They are a symbol of Tony Stark's legacy and a reflection of the perception versus deception theme that I've been discussing. By inheriting these glasses, Peter is meant to take on the torch of Tony Stark's gifted perception to see through all the bullshit of the world. Like Peter later in this film, Tony's sight once caused him to suffer from terrifying nightmarish hallucinations. Peter doesn't want that responsibility, but he realizes that he's the only trustworthy hands of that power. There are some parallels between Far From Home and The Wizard of Oz, the classic story of perception and illusion. Mysterio really is an adaptation of the great and powerful Oz, a wizard with the dome head and colorful smoke, who is revealed to be nothing more than a charlatan, a man behind the curtain. And actually in L Frank Baum's original novel, people in the Emerald City are given green-tinted spectacles to wear to perceive everything in the color green, which at the time was like a loaded political commentary that green paper currency was actually valueless. I'm not going to get into the history of it. But here, the concept is the inverse. The man behind the curtain has deceived everyone with his green smoke screen, and Peter needs the tricked-out spectacles to see through the lies. Peter officially meets Quentin Beck, who, along with Fury, claims to be from another dimension. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. The numbers Beck is using are references to the Marvel multiverse in the comics, a vast infinite number of parallel realities. The primary reality in the comics is called Earth-616, which actually showed up as an Easter egg in Avengers Endgame as a number on Scott Lang's storage unit. 616 was also the number of Peter Parker's original universe in Into the Spider-Verse. Earth-833 in the comics is the reality in which Spider-Man is a British kid named Billy Braddock, who becomes Spider-UK. But for Marvel nerds like us, hearing Mysterio claim this to be Earth-616 should raise some red flags, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is always been technically identified as Earth 199999. That's five nines, right? So when we heard this, we thought, well, Marvel might be trying to redefine things, but more likely, Mysterio's just a big fat liar, which he is. But also, Fury just gave a tell of his own. He told Peter that this Earth was yours. He didn't say ours. We learned in the post-credits scene that this Nick Fury is actually the Skrull shapeshifter, Talos, from Captain Marvel, an alien who is not from Earth. And this is just the first of many clues pointing to his true identity. In fact, at the end of the movie, he just says, 
says, appearances can be deceiving. Mm, smoking gun. Beck shows projections of interdimensional rifts and his alternate Earth, explaining how these creatures that he calls elementals destroyed his planet, killed his family. He sadly rubs his ring. He says the myths are true, and Peter just eats it up. He's like, that's how Thor works. I guess these work the same way. Look, folks, maybe I've just watched too many movies, but this whole backstory just sounds so Hollywoody and cliche. Now, sure, elementals are characters in the Marvel comics, but they're different. They're Doctor Strange, and they wear weird stuff. But, like, fifth element aside, anytime air, earth, water, and fire show up in some kind of cosmic significance, folks, those four are not scientific elements. It's just they were important to the ancient Greeks. So when it's brought up in the scientific context, it should definitely make us skeptical. Peter asks if other Avengers can help. It's kind of weird for Fury to say this, right? And, for that matter, for Talos to say this. Because last time we saw all of them, they're all eating dinner on great terms. Perhaps that is tied into Fury's weird mission in space with the scrolls in the post credit scene. We'll talk more about that later. Peter and his group are rerouted on a bus driven by Dimitri through the Alps. Now, the license plate is NK6224RL. Not sure if that means anything. There's a couple other license plates on buses that I, I couldn't tie to anything specifically, but maybe they are. And on this bus, Peter puts on Tony's glasses, where he meets Edith, an acronym from Stark meaning Even Dead, I'm the Hero. Now, wearing these, Peter can snoop on what everyone is doing on their phones. The chaperone, Mr. Dell, J.D. Smoove, is looking up the history of witchcraft, since he believes the incident in Venice was due to witches. Interestingly, you can also see that Flash Thompson is texting his mom. Mother, I have not heard from you or father in days. Which doesn't seem like a big deal until the end of the movie when they return and Flash asks his driver, could mother not make it? No response. Oh, yeah, something must be in the works with Flash's mother for maybe the third film. In the comics, Flash's mom, Rosie Thompson, is the wife of an NYPD officer, Harrison Thompson, who is an abusive alcoholic. The movies could go in this direction, but I don't know. Flash's wealth in these movies suggests a different home life to me. Perhaps the MCU will retcon his mother to have the name of Norma Osborn. We'll see. After Peter picks up his new stealth suit, he knocks out abuse victim, Flash, maybe. And he nearly kills Brad with a drone. You, Brad. The group arrives in Prague, where Peter ditches them at the opera to help Quentin Beck defeat the fire elemental during the festival. Now, there's actually another Easter egg on the license plate of Nick Fury's car. It says ASM 28965, which is a nod to Amazing Spider-Man number 28, released in September, the ninth month of the year, in 1965. This was the introduction of Molten Man, whom, like the fire elemental here, is based on a liquid metal alloy. Peter and Beck get a victory drink in a nearby bar where the jam's town called Malice is playing, now, this 1981 song was featured prominently in another famous Eurotrip movie, National Lampoon's European Vacation, and it was featured in the 2000 film Billy Elliot, the play stage musical version of which gave Tom Holland his first big break. Did I force that trivia point? Kinda. Peter decides to give Beck the start glasses, shirking this responsibility. And he leaves, and then the bar patrons and decor fade away as projections. And in a very exposition-packed victory speech, Quentin Beck reveals his secret evil plot. So it turns out Beck leads a group of former Stark Industries engineers who feel spurned by Stark's mistreatment and spurned by his decision to give Edith to Spider-Man, not to them. So they combine their resources to create projected illusions of elemental monsters that Quentin Beck can swoop in and defeat, playing the media to become the new Iron Man. Beck reveals that he invented BARF, the binary augmented retro framing tech that Tony showed off in Civil War, and is now using the same hollow projections to trick the world. And naturally, he hates that Tony called it barf, although I think we all love it. Beck's team parallels the production crew of a play or a film. He is a director and lead actor. His director of photography, or visual effects artist, is William Ginter Riva, a cameo callback all the way back from Iron Man. He was the guy Obadiah Stane shootout. Fun fact, William is played by Peter Billingsley, longtime collaborator with Jon Favreau and producer on the first Iron Man, and as a kid, he played Ralph 
Ralphie in A Christmas Story. This crew also includes a guy responsible for the narrative and backstory of Quentin Beck. He would be the screenwriter in this metaphor. There's a woman who stages electrical impulses to fool Nick Fury. She would be something like the location scout. And there's a woman who informed them all that Edith was going to someone else. She would probably be the equivalent of an agent who keeps the talent aware of where opportunities are going and when it's not going to them. Later, this woman doubles as a costumer, steaming Mysterio's cape. Later, you can see all of them rehearsing with Stark's drones, with Beck now wearing a motion capture suit. And this is the exact same kind that these Marvel actors wear when their super forms get CGI painted over them in post. Peter goes on a walk with MJ, where she reveals that she kind of already deduced that he was Spider-Man. And they discover from a broken piece of Beck's holotech what he has been up to. Then in Berlin, Nick Fury picks up Peter in a car with the license plate MTU83779, which is a nod to Marvel Team Up 83, released in July 1979. In this issue, Nick Fury and Peter Parker team up, as they do in the scene. Or do they? Because this meeting is a grand illusion by Mysterio. Quite the clever ambush, too. Because he initially shows Fury reacting to Maria Hill fading away, all to trick Peter with another layer of trust, since Fury picked him up so that Peter would more willing to confess to Fury later on who else he told about this. And this illusion montage is just one of the most visually stunning sequences yet in the MCU. As Mysterio has done in the comics, he projects imagery to manipulate Peter, freak him out, including at one point making himself appear giant-sized. But this is filled with interesting imagery and callbacks, like there's a projection of his high school, moving on to the observation deck of the Eiffel Tower with MJ, where he intended on wooing her. But then it transforms into a hall of mirrors arranged to form MC Escher's Drusta effect, leading to multiple Spider-Men tackling him. And then Peter finds himself on a stone floor with an etching of Captain America's star shield, and then he reverts to his original DIY sweatsuit costume from Homecoming. Then he finds himself at the grave of Tony Stark. Stark's gauntlet bursts out of the grave, the same hand that he snapped with. And then Peter's stuck inside a snow globe with Avengers Tower, a globe that becomes Mysterio's helmet. And then after accidentally confessing to Mysterio, who else knows, Peter gets hit by a train, wakes up in a jail cell with some friendly Dutch dudes, and then joins back up with Happy Hogan. Now on the jet, Peter designs a new suit with Stark's tech. Among the holograms are alternate suit designs, including what looks like the MK2 spider armor and the recent PS4 game suit. Peter inserts his arm into the hologram, lifts it up like a gauntlet, makes Happy smile because this is exactly what Tony Stark did when designing his armor in the first Iron Man movie. And to complete this comparison, Happy plays ACDC's Back in Black, the theme music from the first film. And Peter goes, I love Led Zeppelin. He gets it wrong, but he's still allowed to love it. Meanwhile, Fury mentions to Hill something about Kree sleeper cells. Before they get interrupted, another clue that they're actually scrolls in disguise. And this could mean that in the present day, the Kree and the scroll are still at war, and that the Kree, in addition to the scroll, may be implanted around the world with their own spy network with sleeper cells. But then everything moves to London for the final act. Mysterio uses Edith and Stark's drones to attack the students on Tower Bridge. Happy calls Fury, giving them a coded message about him needing to pick up his surfboard, which could be just a throwaway line, or could be a nod to a possible Silver Surfer movie in MCU future. Please cast Keanu Reeves. On Tower Bridge, the license plates contain more Easter eggs. There's an Audi with the plate number 2865 SCP, 2865 probably another nod to Molten Man. But later, there's a car flipped upside down, the plate reading TASM 143 for The Amazing Spider-Man issue 143, the issue where Spider-Man fights Cyclone, similar to the elemental in this battle. Peter dives from Happy's jet into the belly of the beast, literally webbing up all the drones, projecting this hologram, and later, electrifying them, which is them using the taser web function revealed in Homecoming. During the battle, the drones hit Peter with a shock wave, which is actually a sonic cannon, the same kind that were used on the Hulk in The Incredible Hulk. Peter returns to his DIY roots and engineers a solution, using car parts plus the explosive core of a scavenged drone to make a kind of mace. 
Plus, he grabs the tower bridge sign to make a shield. Now, these melee weapons make Peter look a lot like Cap when he carried both his shield and Mjolnir in Endgame. And Peter in this medieval knight formation also brings him full circle with the moment Tony Stark made him an Avenger in Infinity War. He knighted him on each shoulder. During this battle, Happy and some of the teens flee into the Tower of London, where the crown jewels are kept. And I like how, as they run in, Watts included a shot of the Queen's Guard firing assault rifles at the drones. Just a reminder that these guards are, in real life, serious badasses. You should definitely not fuck around with them. Happy picks up an old shield and he tries to frisbee it at a drone. Fails miserably. He asks, how does Cap do that? Meanwhile, Peter confronts Beck on the upper level of Tower Bridge. And when Mysterio tries once again to trap him in a hallucination, Peter covers his eyes with blinders, blinding his normal physical senses, but finally trusting his own Peter Tingle sense, the Spidey one to guide him, giving him the unique perception to cut right through Mysterio's deception, both with the drones and later with Mysterio trying to sneak up on him and shoot him in the head. God. If you think about it, this blinding of oneself is similar to Daniel's son using the blindfold and Karate Kid to kick Johnny's ass. So Peter regains Edith, orders her to execute all the drones, the audio of which Beck and William will later use to frame Peter as the true villain in the mid credit scene. As Quentin Beck breathes his final breaths, he says, people need something to believe. In these days, they'll believe anything. Pretty chilling final words with Beck, even in death, embracing the deception principle that Peter's perception has defeated. Or has it? Many are wondering, rightly, how Peter could have so easily reacquired Edith, since remember, he had to basically reboot her and hand her off to Beck earlier. Beck definitely didn't do that for Peter. So could Beck have rigged Edith to perform one last deception on Peter into thinking he's dead. We did learn earlier that Edith stands for Even Dead, I'm the Hero, which is, in effect, what Mysterio does after his death, paints himself as the hero. So what if, in addition to Stark, that acronym applies to Mysterio, a seemingly dead presence whose threat will only grow from beyond the grave. So they return home, and the final sequence shows Peter triumphantly swinging through New York. If you look closely, he passes through what was once Avengers Tower, but now it kind of has a mid-level atrium, suggesting some new ownership. Could it be Oscorp? Could it be the Baxter Building of the Fantastic Four? We will see. And then when he swings down to MJ, there's a sign in the far background with a timeline of arrows pointing to the right, numbers one, two, and three, and then a question mark with the words, we are excited to show you what comes next, which is a nod to Far From Home being the official end of Marvel Phase 3, and what comes next in Phase 4, soon to be revealed. The mid credit scene features J.K. Simmons returning as J. Jonah Jameson from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, now running a Daily Bugle that's less of a print tabloid and more of an Infowars-style website and broadcast. His big scoop is Mysterio's fake video of Spider-Man and Mysterio's reveal of Peter's identity. And so the battle between perception and deception continues, maybe now with Peter having to do the deceiving. Now there's one final Easter egg in the final post-credit scene on Fury and Hill's car, or is it Talos and Soren's car? The license plate reads HNM 62011. Now, I'm not sure. I'm wondering if it could be a nod to January of 1962, which would have been the Scrolls' first appearance in the Fantastic Four comics. Let me know if you have a better take on it. As for what the real Nick Fury is doing up in space so that he would need Talos and Soren to shapeshift into him and Maria Hill down on Earth, my thinking is that Fury could be doing an MCU version of S.W.O.R.D., which is the counterpart organization of S.H.I.E.L.D., as things are in the Marvel timeline right now. Right now, the shield is kind of a mess, so that would make sense. But what do you think Fury is up to, and do you think Mysterio could have faked his death? Comment down below with your thoughts. And thank you again to Marvel Collect by Tops for sponsoring this breakdown. Marvel Collect is the app that lets you collect and trade digital trading cards with an ever-expanding collection of content from the Marvel Universe. And again, the app is free to download, free to play, and I like how it lets you track your progress to complete sets. Like, you can tap on a card to find out how to get your hands on it, or if it's sold out, what you have that card so 
you can try to trade for it. And it gives you lots of different ways to build up buying power. Daily login bonuses, and these cool collector-based missions, which keep you on track with daily and weekly goals to earn currency in the app and use that to open digital packs of cards. And we got a special bonus just for you guys. So the folks at Tops were super nice to send me this Infinity Gauntlet. And we also have one that we're gonna give away to one of you in a special giveaway contest. You can enter to win the gauntlet just by clicking on the other link in the description. And then on that site, all you gotta do, just follow the steps and you will be entered for that Infinity Gauntlet plus a larger grand prize drawing with the opportunity to win an iPhone 10 or a Samsung S9. Can I enter this contest? I want one of those. So anyway, jump on this giveaway. And remember, you can download Marvel Collect by Tops with our download link in the description or find it on the iTunes App Store or in the Google Play Store worldwide. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at EAVoss and subscribe to New Rockstars for breakdowns and theories about everything Marvel. Thank you for joining me. And hey, actor Remy He, you were great in Far From Home. No hard feelings, but when it comes to the character that you played, you, Brad.